Well, good morning, church. My name is Brandon. I'm the lead pastor out here at Alliance Church Hortonville. So uh, the, the topic this morning is why, why we break bread together. So what I really wanted to do was have all of you over at my house and in my dining room, but there was just the smallest logistical challenge. We were short, you know, 180 chairs, give or take. So I f- figured it'd actually be easier to bring my dining room to you guys. Uh, so here's my table. Uh, this is, uh, I mean, this is our, this is our sh- salt shaker here. These are the sticks that, <laughs> that's our napkin dispenser there. This is the Hillstead family table. This, uh, I believe that Jesus picked this table out for us specifically. I believe that God selected this table. Why do I say that? Is because uh, the, the family from whom we bought our house had been praying. They were a family of uh, six. The dad is a doctor. The uh, wife is a teacher. They have four awesome kids. They do like kind of weird stuff like love Jesus and uh, enjoy life together. And they were just an awesome family. And they had been in our home, uh, the, the, what is now our home, for uh, about a decade. And they had been, when it came time to sell their home, they were praying, Lord, would you send a family that would bless this neighborhood and, and that this home would bless them the way it's been a blessing to us. And we, at the same time, had just moved here from the mission field, and we were praying, Lord, would you bring us a home that would bless us and that we could be a blessing to the neighborhood? And, it, and the Lord you know, brought us together. You know, God never gets the address wrong. Wherever you live, that's where God wants you to live. And, uh, and so they left this table after gathering around it for... Uh, a decade and making memories and playing board games and sharing meals and no doubt inviting guests. I'm sure there's more laughs than you can count, more tears shed than you could count around this table. And then they, they passed it on to us. And uh, so I stripped it down and uh, restained it and painted it and made it a little bit more ours, but we carried that tradition on. And for the last two years, the Hillstead family is gathered around this thing. And now we've got a big family. It expands. It gets bigger. Uh, but we've, uh, you know, I mean, sometimes homework gets done on this table. Sometimes laundry gets folded on this table, for sure. But what I like most that happens at this table is we break bread. We, we share meals together. Sometimes our family. And then my favorite is when we have other people, guests that we invite in to gather around this table. And so this morning, as we're interacting with the concept of, like, why do we break bread together? Why is this a thing? Why is this such a big thing? I, um, I want to ask you a question you maybe have never been asked before. Here it is. What do you think is the most powerful piece of furniture in your home? Think about this. Like, what piece of furniture, what's the one piece of furniture that you have in your home that has the most untapped uh, ministry potential? And we got a lot of good furniture in our homes, don't we? A couch, I love me a good couch. I mean, you want to relax, you get the lazy boy, put the feet up, you watch the Packers game, good stuff. Uh, you know, desks, boy, they're a good desk. That'll help you get paperwork done. Uh, you know, but I don't think the Lord will be asking how much paperwork we got done when, we, uh, when this thing's all said and done. So I don't know if it's a desk. A dresser? 
The dress, I mean, we could, uh, you know, give a shout out to dressers. They're kind of the unsung hero of the furniture world, right? They're great, I mean, for putting stuff in. If you have stuff, it's good to have a place to put it. But I think there's a piece of furniture that is uh, got a lot more ministry potential than every other piece of furniture. I believe your table is the most powerful piece of furniture in your home. Think about what happens around the table. Just pause and think about this. When family gathers around or guests uh, uh, gather around the table, what do we do around this? First of all, in preparation for a guest, all we do is think about them. It's the most others-centered uh, we can become because we're going, when we're choosing what, what meat do I want to serve or what dish do I want to serve, you, you, why you make a decision, you go, oh, they're going to love this. Oh, this is going to be, this is going to bless them. I'm going to serve this drink with that. And as you're setting the tables, maybe tidying up a little bit, all you're thinking about is how you can make the other person just smile and be blessed and, 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 and feel welcome. It's a very others-centered thing. But when we gather around the table, whether it's with guests or just with the family, think about what we do. Like we slow down, don't we? Like this is a one place we put our stupid phones away. We just listen and we're present with each other. We serve each other at the table, don't we? Like we laugh at the table. We tell jokes at the table. We tell stories at the table. We, we hear each other. Right? You, you, you hear about uh, how people's day went. You hear what they're excited about. You might hear dreams someone has at the table. We say crazy stuff at the table like, you know, one day, it sounds crazy, but I would love to fill in the blank. I mean, at the table, we, walls come down. People get closer. At, at the table, we, we, we dream. We, we talk about deep stuff too, don't we? Think about this. At the table, we talk about what's going on in our souls and we talk about God and we talk about heaven and we discuss the Bible. Think about the theology that happens at a table. It's theology for all ages. That's where a seven-year-old will start to discuss the doctrine of the Trinity in language that makes sense to a seven-year-old. It's where a seven-year-old will teach a 39-year-old what it means to trust Jesus and love their neighbor. Powerful stuff. Something powerful happens around the table. Ministry of all types for all types of people happens at the table. Think about this. Counseling happens at the table. Healing happens at the table. Correction happens at the table. Evangelism like good evangelism. Some of the best evangelism happens at the table. There's something powerful that happens when we break bread together. There's, there's something powerful that happens here. I think some of the best Jesus ministry happens at a table. So it is no coincidence then that when Luke, in chapter 2 of the book of Acts, do you remember this? When Luke describes... The early church, the earliest of churches, he mentions the fact that they ate together. It's no coincidence. I'm going to read this. This is 
Luke chap, uh, sorry, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And this is, Luke is writing this to Theophilus. And he says he wants Theophilus to know this stuff. And here's what he talks about, about the early church. And now keep in mind, Peter has just preached a sermon. He's just preached the gospel. And the little church of a little more than 100 has grown to being a church of a little more than 1,000. And essentially what happened is that the church was born. It's, a, it's an infant. It still has that new church smell. And this is what, what Luke says about it. He says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Do you find it a bit odd in that list of very obvious church things that Luke mentions that they ate dinner? Think about this. It's all stuff that you would go, yeah, that makes sense. That's important stuff about a church. Yeah, they were, they were, they were devoted to the, the apostles' teaching. Like the apostles, they were opening this book. They were opening the Old Testament, and they were preaching Jesus from this Old Testament. And they were devoted to that. And they were devoted to the fellowship, the, that being together, that having things in common. And they were praying. This was a praying church. And they were taking care of people that were in need. And miraculous things were happening around them. And they ate dinner. Doesn't it seem so commonplace compared to, so utilitarian compared to everything else? Well, yeah, they ate dinner, they're human. That's what we do. You need to do that. Why, why is that such a big deal that Luke mentions it? Why is breaking bread such a big deal? And when we talk about breaking bread in the New Testament, know that it refers to both uh, celebrating the Lord's table or the Lord's supper, taking communion, and sharing meals together. So why was this such a noteworthy part of the early church's rhythms? Here's what I believe. That the Jesus community was a continuation of the ministry of Jesus. Therefore, their ministry looked a lot like Jesus' ministry. The Jesus community, the church, was a continuation of Jesus' ministry. And if you read the Gospels, you'll notice that a lot of the ministry that Jesus did happened around a table. Time after time after time again, Jesus did ministry around a table. Some of his best ministry happened around a table. So it's no coincidence then that the, the Jesus community would continue that ministry and that Luke would note that they, they ate meals together. So what I want to do this morning is give you three snapshots of three tables from the life and ministry of Jesus. 
Now, there's uh, any number of uh, instances that we could have gone with here. There's, there's almost too many in the Gospels to talk about them all uh, this morning. I assume you want to be home in time for the Packer game at 3, 325. So, so I just got three, okay? So here's three tables from the life and ministry of Jesus. And what I want you to see is what happens around a table when Jesus is invited to a table. Like when, when there's a spot and Jesus is there and he's sitting there and uh, you might have a guest here and uh, another guest here. What happens when Jesus is around a table with people? The first table, you'll see, becomes a place of worship. Now, this first table, uh, it, Jesus sat at it about a week before the cross. The first table was in the home of a man named Simon the leper. It was who lived in a town called Bethany, which was just outside of Jerusalem. And at this meal, Jesus was sharing a meal there, and there was Martha, a familiar name. She was serving. There was Lazarus, whom Jesus had raised from the dead, was there. And then Mary, their sister, comes, and she takes a pound of expensive ointment, and she anoints Jesus' head and his feet, and, he, and she wipes his feet uh, with her hair. And this is a total act of worship. And you'll, you remember, if you've read this, I mean, it's in three different Gospels, you'll remember that Judas specifically misses the point. He goes, that, that, that could have been sold, and that money could have been given to the poor. But Judas didn't actually care about the poor, he cared about the money. Now... Jesus responds in Matthew 26. Jesus doesn't take any time straightening Judas and any other disciples who were going along with him, straightening them out. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? Now, listen to what he says. For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you will always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. You see, at this table, um, Jesus was worshipped. This table became a place of worship. And what is worship? Think about this. It's our heart lifted up to God. When Jesus is invited to a table, it can become a place of worship. The second table becomes a place of outreach. You, you might remember this paragraph out of Matthew chapter 9, verses 10 through 13. Jesus is at a, the home of someone, and it was a total scandal. It would have made it onto the religious TMZ of the day. It, was, it, was, it caused a buzz. Matthew writes this. And as Jesus reclined at table, pause, that might sound like a weird series of words there, but to recline at table is one verb in the Greek, and it means to eat dinner at someone's place, and it refers to the position of the body. Tables then were lower. And you would lean on one elbow and eat with one hand, therefore to recline 
at table with someone was to share a meal with them. So Jesus, as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, here's the scandal. Many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But Jesus, when he heard it, again, he takes no time to correct and rebuke these stubborn, thick-headed, hard-hearted religious zealots. He says, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not a sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. You see, the tax collectors and the sinners were the social pariahs of the day, the religious outcast. Everyone knew from their lifestyle that they were not accepted in the insider religious community. Therefore, to break bread with them would be a scandal. You wouldn't want to do this. If you want to appear holy, you don't hang out with people who don't. You might get their little sinner cooties on you or something. I'm not sure, but this was scandalous. And the religious elite of the day, the Pharisees, they said, why does Jesus do this? And so Jesus says, basically, listen, it's not people who think they're healthy that need a doctor. It's for people who know they're sick. He says, I didn't come. I didn't come to try to heal up people that don't even know they're broken. I came for the lost. I came for the broken. He says, go read your Bibles, Pharisees. And then he quotes Hosea 6.6. Maybe figure out what this means. I desire mercy and not a sacrifice. Translation, it doesn't matter what you do with your body for God. If you miss the heart of God, you miss the point. And what's the heart of God? The heart of God is merciful toward the broken. And Jesus says, why don't you figure that out? You know, Jesus was using that table as a place of outreach. He was reaching out to uh, those who were lost. It reminds me of Luke 19. You guys remember Zacchaeus? Did you ever sing the song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he? Climbed up up a sycamore tree and so on. What happened? This guy was the crookedest of the crooked. He wasn't just a tax collector. He was the chief of tax collectors. What a scoundrel. Can you imagine? He's not just ripping people off. He's the ringleader of the pyramid scheme. Ripping off his own brothers at that. What happens? Jesus goes and visits this greedy, dishonest man's home and totally changes his life. He comes out, he says, I'm going to give, I'm going to give, I'm going to restore everything I took from anyone fourfold. And Jesus says, you know what happened today, brother? You got saved. Salvation came to your home. And then Jesus says, because that's why I came. Luke 19, 10. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. 
You see, when Jesus is invited to a table, it can turn into a place of outreach. If worship is our heart lifted up to God, outreach is our heart given out to the broken, to the lost, to the unsaved. The third table becomes a place of discipleship. When Jesus is invited to a table, it can become a place of discipleship. Now, see if you can remember what night uh, Jesus sat at this particular table. It was the night when he would stand up before the supper and he would tie a towel around his waist and he would fill a basin full of water and then he would go and one by one wash the feet of every one of his disciples. And then he would sit back down and he would say, I've done this to teach you something, to give you an example. You guys call me teacher, you're right. And I've got something to teach you. And the way I've just served you, I want you to serve one another. It was the night that Jesus would teach the upper room discourse. Most of it is recorded in John 14, one of the most powerful chapters in the entire Bible. If you haven't read it, read it this week. It's a wonderful, wonderful chapter. When Jesus, he's te- he takes time and he teaches about heaven and how to get there. And he teaches about how he's overcome the world. And he teaches about the peace that's available in him. And he teaches about the Holy Spirit who is going to come and be a helper and be with us forever. And he teaches about what it means to actually love him. And, and, and to keep his word. And he teaches about how the love of the Father and loving the Father is intrinsically woven to everything he's teaching about. It would be at this t- table, after this meal, that Jesus would then take the bread and take the cup and teach them this. You know what this actually represents here is what's about to happen to me on the cross. This bread It represents my body, which is about to be broken for you. This cup, it represents my blood, which is about to be poured out all over for a new covenant, a new relationship with God. It it was sometime at this table when Jesus would pull, pull Peter aside and prepare Peter and say, listen, Peter, you're gonna deny me, but don't worry. I've prayed for you. Can you imagine Jesus whispering that to you? You're going to mess up in a way that you don't even think is possible. But I got you covered. I prayed for you. You're good. It's at this table. He would point out that Judas would be the one who would betray him. Around this table, they would sing a hymn. And then they would go out to the garden. If you haven't put it together, it was... The night where Jesus was in the shadow of the cross. From here, Jesus would go to the Garden of Gethsemane and he would fall on his face and beg God that there be another way. And then he would be mocked and spat on and beaten, and his body would be nailed to a Roman cross and he would die between two thieves. And his followers would then go feet first into their own hardship and persecution. 
And it was at this table that Jesus prepared them for all that. It was at that table that they had Jesus for a brief moment, one-on-one. See, up until this point, all throughout his ministry, the masses were pulling at Jesus and demanding of him, and, and he was healing and teaching and casting out demons and so on. But at this table, for a moment, there were no masses. It was just Jesus and his disciples for an intense, intimate moment of life-changing discipleship. When Jesus is invited to a table, it can become a place of discipleship. It can become a place of worship. Our heart lifted up to God. It can become a place of outreach. Our heart given out to the broken. And it can become a place of discipleship, which is God's heart to us, that our hearts may be shaped to be like his and that our hearts may be united together with his. So I want you right now to visualize your table. Can you do that? It's a little weird. Just go with me. Picture your, like your, your actual table. The one that's sitting in your dining room, or maybe in your kitchen. Pick, visualize in your mind your table. And what I want you to do is imagine that Jesus appeared and he said, hey, listen, I picked this one out just for you. I want you to use it. I want you to use it to minister to others for my glory. Just imagine, Jesus said, this is, this is your table here. And I want you to invite me to it and invite other people's to, people to it. Set up appointments where I can meet people and they can meet me. I want you to use it. I want you to use this table uh, as a, let me, let, me, let me turn it into a place of worship. Would you invite me and I could turn it into a place of outreach? Maybe I'd turn it into a place of discipleship. Imagine Jesus says, no, this is your table. I picked it out. It's made out of cheap pine. It's perfect. <laughs> this leg is wobbly. You can tighten it but it's yours and I picked it out and I want you I want you to invite me and invite others and let me make it a table of encouragement let me make it a table of healing or a table of listening a table of sharing let me make this place a place where people are known and being known being made known where we know each other as I think about this what if, what if your table was the place where someone who had never trusted a person who trusted God first trusted a person who trusted God? You process that? Imagine if it's your table. The, the first, the, the, I'm talking about the type of person who would never come here on a Sunday morning. Maybe they're too hungover. Maybe they're too hurt. Maybe they're too busy. Imagine your table, the one, you still got it locked in your mind. You can, you can visualize it. Imagine your table was the place where a marriage got healed. Imagine, imagine if a moment around your table was the moment a husband decided to not walk out on his family. 
Imagine if your table were the place where someone for the first time had the courage to say something crazy like, I know this is insane, but I feel like God wants me to do this or start that ministry or go here. And your table's the first place where that ministry idea or vision gets heard and processed and communicated and confirmed. Imagine your ministry, your table, be a place where someone who's about to give up on ministry finds the encouragement they need to keep going. Imagine if your table were the place where someone walks out and they might not even tell you, but they walk out knowing, you know what, I was going to end it. I was going to end it all tonight. But I got hope. I'm going to fight another day. I'm going to do this thing. Imagine your table is the place where someone says, I, I just got a diagnosis and I haven't told anyone. And I don't know what to do. Would you, would you pray with me about this? Because I, I don't know where to go. Imagine if your table were the place the neighbor kid, for the first time, sees a husband that treats his wife with dignity. Imagine that. Imagine it's the first time a neighbor kid sees a family that actually like, loves each other and loves God and do it well. You imagine if your, your table were the place where someone who feels like such an outsider at church ends up connected. You know, uh, when uh, Melanie and I uh, first got married, I wasn't really following Christ, but I, I could talk enough to convince her I, I was. Uh, and what you do as a young married couple is you find a church and you go to it, right? That's what you're supposed to do, is what a good couple does. And so we were trying to find a church. The first church, and this was back in the day where you'd open the phone book and look at the list and uh, call a church. The first church we called late on a Saturday night was a Baptist church, and we were hoping to get their answering machine. Millenni or uh, Gen Z, if you don't know what this is, it's like a voicemail machine. <laughs> and uh, we thought they would say their service times, and a lady answered, and she goes, why are you calling so late? <laughs> And he said, we're not going to that church. <laughs> so we called the next one, and we got the answering machine. And the pastor's voice, he just seemed so nice and welcoming. And it was a little Christian and Missionary Alliance church. And uh, we went. And that church, boy, the music was terrible. The sermon, you couldn't follow it. The people were pretty weird. And uh, I don't know why we stayed. But I do know, the, uh, the youth pastor and his wife said, hey, would you like to have dinner sometime? And we didn't have any couples that were actually following Jesus and had a healthy marriage. I was still in the Navy, and everyone in the Navy is on, the, on a fast track to, you know, Sin City. I mean, you know, it's a, it's a hurting group of guys. And uh, they invited us over for dinner, and we got connected, and we ended up staying in that church growing in that church, is in that church that I uh, eventually came to Christ. I got baptized. 
I uh, went into ministry. I started off as a youth pastor. Uh, my, the, the senior pastor mentored me for years. And uh, when he announced his retirement, I candidated for his position. And uh, I ended up pastoring that church. And it wouldn't have been for that table. I wouldn't have been there. None of that would have happened. How might God want to use your table? I remember about two years into ministry, Melanie and I were on the cusp of burnout. I was working 40 to 50 hours a week for a commercial controls contractor, and I was taking a full load, trying to get my Bible degree online, and I was working as a part-time youth pastor, which use the term part-time, very, anyone's ever been in ministry, there's no such thing as part-time. And um, we were about to burn out. We were using every single every single evening for ministry, every single day off for ministry, Saturday, Sunday. Uh, we were totally dishonoring God. We were not taking a Sabbath. We were not resting. We were not taking time even for our family the way we should have been. Every vacation, we used it to lead mission trips and different ministry functions. And after a little less than two years, we were exhausted, unhealthy, burnt out. And we made the decision, we're done. We're done. We can't do this. And the, the thought of just working in a factory, stacking boxes, and not having to think or deal with people sounded so appealing. And we were ready to quit and move back to our hometown. And everyone that listened to us said, yeah, it sounds like a good idea. No, you probably need, that. Yeah, it sounds right. And we had a lot of good excuses too. But it wasn't until we had my pastor and his wife in our house, around our table. Not this table. It was a, the table that we had when we, first, we bought when we first got married. And they, we, we shared around the table. And it was in that moment, it was in that evening, around that table, that our pastor spoke a word that just cut right to our hearts. And he, he was the only one that had the courage to tell us that we were in error said, you're not burnt out in ministry because of the ministry. You're burnt out because of you. You're burnt out because you're not honoring God. How are you in ministry and you're not even taking a Sabbath? When's the last time you took your wife on a date? When's the last time you said no to something? said, you're not unhealthy right now because ministry. You're unhealthy because of you. And you don't need to quit ministry. You need to start honoring God with your time. And then he said with a smile on his face, okay, well, I'll see you next week. (laughs) And they walked out the door. And Melanie and I both cut to the heart. As soon as the door shut, we looked at each other and didn't have to say anything. We said, they're exactly right. We got to make some changes. And we knew we weren't supposed to quit ministry. We would have been out of ministry. I wouldn't be here today, I tell you. We stayed in ministry because of the encouragement that happened around a table. So what if your table were a place people met Jesus? A place where people got encouraged by Jesus? A place where people learned the word of God How might God want to use your table? So here's my challenge to you, church. I I firmly believe that the next phase of ministry for this church is not an initiative or a program, but it involves your dining room table.
So here's my challenge. Would you consecrate your table? You know what that means? Would you set it apart for a holy purpose and say, God, we want to use our table to minister to people for your glory. Just see what kind of ministry Jesus wants to do around your table. My challenge is that you, in the next three months, use your table as ministry in, in three ways. Try, in the next three months, use your table as ministry in three different ways. And just see what the Lord will, will do through the ministry that happens around your table. That's my challenge to you. Would you stand if you're able? I would like to close in prayer. And then read a benediction from Romans 15. Jesus, we saw today the way that you took time at a table to be with people. Jesus, that when you were there, a table became a place of worship where you were worshiped and a beautiful thing was done to you. We see that you, at a table, you used that time to reach out to people who were far from God. We see that at a table, Lord, you also invested, you taught your disciples, Lord. And we see that the early church continued that same tradition. It is no coincidence, Lord, that your servant Luke, in writing the book of Acts, included that the early church ate together. And so, God, we now consecrate our tables to you. We set them aside for your purposes. And we ask, Lord, that you would use them. God, I firmly believe that the tables in the homes, the houses, the apartments, the studios, Lord, a table in a camper or a picnic table outside can become a place of ministry if you're invited to the table. And so, Jesus, would you work through us as we seek to serve you and minister to others well? We pray this in your glorious and holy name. Amen. And now may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may glorify with one voice the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. May God richly bless you, my church. Have a wonderful afternoon, and we'll see you next Sunday.